so um, we will not reread it again, but we will walk our way through it verse by verse and line by line. I would encourage you, if, if you are looking to uh, memorize Scripture, Psalm 121 is a fairly easy chapter to memorize. Um, one of the reasons is because it, it has so many repetitive words inside of these short eight verses. And it has a natural flow to it that just kind of builds one thought upon the other and just makes memorization fairly easy. And really, I could think of, of all the Psalms there are to memorize, um, if you are a follower of Christ, probably no Psalm more needful or fitting for our day and time to memorize than Psalm 121, a Psalm of help. So hopefully you found Psalm 121 and you're looking at it. This morning I've entitled the sermon, I Am Your Help. The phrase, God helps those who, helps, who help themselves, you guys familiar with that phrase? God helps those who help themselves, was made popular by Benjamin Franklin in his publication, Poor Richard's Almanac. And by the way, his famous axiom is not original to him. He actually took it from a line out of one of Aesop's fables. But this axiom, this statement, God helps those who helps themselves, has so integrated itself into the life of America that a recent poll conducted by the Barner Research Group found some very interesting information. Barna, in trying to gauge the biblical acumen or knowledge of American Christians, asked the question to those who classified themselves as born-again Christians, that, using that very specific designation, asked those who claim to be born-again Christians, is the statement, God helps those who helps themselves, is it actually a verse in the Bible? Surprisingly, Barna found that 68% of those claiming to be born again stated that it was an actual verse in the Bible. What's even more amazing is that those who just designated themselves as a Christian, not as a born-again Christian, but just as a Christian, said that 81% of those in that designation said that it was an actual scripture from the Bible. And what's even more astounding, but not surprising, is that 75% of American teenagers said that they believe it was the central message of the Bible. <laughs> wow. Not, I mean, not just a verse. It's the central message of the Bible. 
One other little piece about this phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is that Barna, in, in asking people what their favorite verse of the Bible is, that axiom, not verse, made the top ten verses. This is not a sermon on the low biblical knowledge of Americans. This is more than that. This sermon today is to help to teach us something that we desperately need to know, and that is, I am is our helper. I am is our helper. Verses 1 and 2 says, I will or I lift up my eyes to the hills where my help comes from. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and of earth. That's where those five words come from this morning. It's from those two verses. I am is our helper. Now, let, let me tell you where I get that, those opening two words, I am, because those are strategic words. Those are well-chosen and well-placed words. You see, the phrase I am defines or explains the word Lord found in the second verse. And that word Lord there, is, as we have said over the last couple of weeks, as we have seen it in other Psalms, is in all capital, is all caps, which reminds us that in the Hebrew language, this is the word Yahweh. Or as when Moses was called by God to go uh, to Pharaoh and to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. The Lord says, let my people go. Moses said, Lord, if I'm asked, who sent you to make such a declaration? Who am I to tell them that has sent me? And the Lord said, tell them that Yahweh has sent you. If we were trying to get a literal translation of the word Yahweh, Lord is a good one, but, but really this is what God was saying to Moses and what Moses was saying to Pharaoh in that day when he said Yahweh said, let my people go. He is saying, I am that I am, said, let my people go. You see, when the Lord says, I am that I am, He is saying, there is no one like me. He is stating His utter uniqueness. So when the psalmist, so when the psalmist says, my help comes from the Lord, He is saying, I am is my helper. It could also be said this way, I have help like no other. I have help like no other. The text reminds us that we must have a proper self-awareness. Here's the self-awareness that we need to have about ourselves. We must admit that we need God's help. You must admit that you need help. Now, that's, that's difficult for us, right? How many of us 
are quick to ask for help. Probably one of the greatest frustrations of my wife is to see me in the kitchen looking for something, and she says, can I help you find something? To which I answer, as any red-blooded American male would answer, no, I, I know exactly what I'm looking for. And I do know what I'm looking for. That's the truth. I just don't know where it is. It's hard for us to admit that we need help. The psalmist says, I lift up my eyes. The words are an admittance of help, not just for a singular event, but in the, but in the original language, it, it is a cry for continual help. He is ultimately saying, Lord, there's not ever a time in my life I don't need your help. He's not looking to himself or to the hills for help. He knows that nothing on earth can provide him what he needs. Many great saints of God cited this passage as their strength in difficult times. The great missionary David Livingstone, who explored the continent of Africa, it is said that as he packed his bags in 1840 and boarded a ship there in England, that as Livingstone was pulling away from port, that he was reciting out loud Psalm 121. As Livingstone made his way into the heart of Africa to take the gospel to those who had no gospel witness. And if you don't know anything about David Livingstone, he would go and he would live the remainder of his life in Africa, going into uh, unreached areas. And eventually, he became the beloved missionary of many African countries. When Livingstone died, his heart was literally buried in Africa by those tribes that he had ministered to, though his body is buried, I believe, at Westminster Abbey. Livingstone was heard reciting Psalm 121 as he left there in 1840. God's strongest saints realized their weakness and appealed to God for strength. One Sunday morning as Charles Spurgeon passed through the back door of the pulpit in the great Metropolitan Tabernacle, he saw the great crowd and someone overheard the great Spurgeon, the, the prince of preachers as he is known, the man whose writings, his personal writings and his sermons are greater than the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica in their scope. The great Spurgeon who is said to have preached to more people in his day and time than any other preacher had ever preached, was heard saying these words, Oh God, help. As strong as he was, he realized that he was insufficient for so great a task as preaching the gospel in, in power unless God should be his helper. You see, throughout Scripture, we learn that self-sufficiency disqualifies us from divine help. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the what? To the humble. To receive God's help, we must admit our need for help. We must stop trying to help ourselves. Weak saints 
display a big God. Why do we find it so difficult to ask for help? Is it our raising? Some of y'all probably were raised. Stand on your own two feet. Don't ask, don't bother other people. Don't ask for help. Be your own woman. Be your own man. And, and don't get me wrong, there's, there's nothing wrong with, with, with raising children to be able to stand and stand on their own because ultimately, hey, mom and dad, the job of a parent is to get them out of the house. Not to, not to hang out and live forever. The job of a parent is to raise a child that can live on its own. And it always seemed that in rearing our two children, there was, you know, I always sensed this fine line as a parent between wanting to establish two uh, young women who could stand on their own two feet, but not try to establish two young women who were standing on their feet and unwilling to ask for help. Sometimes I look and I think we might have done a pretty good job of that as parents, but there are times where I think that we may have instilled too much standing on their own and doing it too much in their own strength. There's a fine line there. But the Lord wants His people to know that they stand in constant need of His help. So maybe we don't ask for help because it was the way we were raised. Or maybe we don't ask for help because it's just our natural disposition. It's kind of the way God hardwired us. We came out not wanting help. Right? I mean, from, from day one as a child, you, you didn't want help. Or maybe, or maybe it was a commercial from 1989. Some of y'all wasn't born in 1989. But I, I remember this commercial. I was 16 years old when this commercial came out. And the commercial was of an elderly woman laying in the floor, crying out. Do y'all know what she cried? Help! I've fallen and I can't get up. And some of us saw that commercial in 1989, and we, we said to ourselves, I am not going to end up like that old lady. I am not going to be found laying in the floor, incapacitated, unable to help myself. No one wants to feel helpless, right? Why? Because help, helplessness increases our anxiety, and who in the world in here needs more anxiety? However, a proud faith is much as a contradiction as a humble devil. Y'all get that a little later. Christianity is a faith for the weak and lowly. Our thoughts on the, on the Word and how we feel about the Word help really reveals a lot about our heart. Listen, if you are a strong Christian in your own might, can I tell you something? You will eventually learn weakness. Pits are often needed for those who follow Christ. Maybe you find yourself as a believer in a pit this morning. Well, guess what? Every pit has a purpose. And you know what the purpose of pits are? To do exactly what our text tells us to do. 
to look up. Why? Because when you're in a pit, you've got nowhere else to look for help but up. Gideon's army was too large and strong for the Lord, so he reduced his numbers to make him ready for victory. I've never served in the military like Marcus or Fred, but, but I can just imagine the, the, the confidence that one has in, in when you're at war and being able to go into battle knowing that, hey, we've got the numbers. Not only do we got the military you know, might when it comes to weaponry, but we've got the military might when it comes to numbers. Can you imagine God taking your 30,000 men army, man army down to 300, and God says, oh, now you are ready to go to battle? Jehoshaphat's army was small compared to the Ammonites, Moabites, and the Minuites. But Jehoshaphat did not lead in his own strength. Listen to these words out of 2 Chronicles 20, 12. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Listen, that is, if you want to be great, you must be weak. If you want to see God's power and strength on display, then you must get rid of your power and your strength and admit, Lord, I am weak. I don't know what to do. If you're raising kids, probably a good prayer for you to pray every morning when you wake up. Lord, you gave me these kids. I have no, I have no idea what to do with them, but I'm going to trust you today. I'm going to trust you today. Maybe you have a business. There are times where you feel overwhelmed by it. Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Maybe you're married, and, and, and there are times where you just don't know how to, how to relate to your spouse. And you just say, Lord, I don't understand women, but you created them, so my eyes are on you this morning. And that's not me being facetious, that's just me being real. That's what the Scripture teaches us to do. Lord, I don't know what to do. The problem is, many of us think we know what to do, and that's our problem. My favorite Bible verse, the verse, probably the first verse outside of John 3, 16 I ever memorized was, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not into your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. In whatever state, in whatever place, in whatever condition, you find yourself, always remember this, look up. Where you choose to lift your eyes has significant consequences. Don't look back as Lot's wife did. Don't look within as too many do. And don't look around as David did. But this morning, look up. Look up to God. He is your father. He is your friend. He is your savior. He can help you and he will help you. And Isaiah 45, 22 says this, look to me, this is the Lord speaking, and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God. There's that I am again. For I am God, and there is no other. Look up every day, saying with David in Psalm 5:3, My voice you shall hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. Some of you get up in the morning and you're already looking down. 
Some of you get up in the morning and you're already looking around at your circumstances that surround you. But when you get up in the morning, when you get up, take a look up. Hey, when you get up in the morning, go find the sun real quick. It's a good reminder that God is able to help. <laughs> right? It's a good reminder the Lord is able to help. Look up in every trial saying, I will lift up my eyes into the hill from where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Do what Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 and 2 says. Let us throw off every everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run the race with perseverance marked out for us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I love what Corey Ten Boom said. She said, look around and be distressed. Look inside and be depressed. Look at Jesus and be at rest. What are you looking at today? Your look will determine your outlook. Your look will determine your outlook. Now, let me say something real quick. You probably noticed at the very beginning of this psalm, it said that it's a song of ascent. As a matter of fact, the Bible has, last week when we looked at Psalm 115, we saw that it was a part of what is called the Egyptian Hallel. But this week, when we get to Psalm 121, it's actually the second song in a 15-song playlist. Young people, y'all may think that, you know, iTunes and Amazon and Spotify were the first people to come up with playlists. Back in the day, we called it mixtapes. Anybody do mixtapes back in the day? You have a good mixtape? Well, this is what the songs of ascent are. It is Israel's playlist for the road trip. And what they would do is they would take these 15 psalms, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, and they would sing them as they were making their journey to Jerusalem. They had to go to Jerusalem three times a year for three different feasts. The Feast of Pentecost, uh, uh, the Feast of Passover, and uh, one other feast that I can't think of right off the top of my head. But three times a year they had to make this journey to Jerusalem. No cars. You know, no trains, no form of transportation except maybe a donkey if you had some money. But more than likely, they all made this journey on foot. But here's what you need to understand. Jerusalem set some 2,500 feet, almost 2,600 feet above sea level. And it was a very steep grade going up to Jerusalem. If many of you remember the story of the Good Samaritan, you remember that in the story of the Good Samaritan that a man was coming from Jerusalem going down to Jericho. He was on this actual road that travelers would take going up to Jerusalem. And yet, what did it say? He fell among thieves. He was beaten and robbed. This was a very treacherous road to take uh, because there were thieves and robbers and uh, uh, people who wanted to do harm to you. It was also very dangerous because uh, of the heat of the day. Uh, it was very easily, it was very easy to become dehydrated and to, and to even have uh, a sunstroke. Uh, uh, it was even more dangerous to be there at night because as bad as the heat would be during the day, it would get incredibly cold at night. It was a 
difficult journey. It was a hard journey to make. And so when we understand the context that these, that these travelers would be, uh, would be enduring and, and, and these songs would be sung during their journey, we can see why Psalm 121 was there. Why? Because it was a song that they would sing as they were going through this very dangerous aspect of life. And what words would be more important than to say, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where, my, from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Always remember this. When the outlook is bleak, remember the uplook. If you want help, you must admit your need for help. And once you've admitted your need of help, then listen, you can be assured that God will help. You can be assured that God will help. Notice what it says about him. He's the one that made heaven and earth. Only the creator can, help, can be the helper of his creation. If he has accomplished the greater, which is creating everything, he will surely accomp accomplish the lesser, which is be our help in the time of need. A God big enough to make this world and keep it going is big enough to help you and I with our day-to-day -day problems. Amen? Yeah, I was supposed to say, so be it. He who spoke the heavens is to be, notice what he says, my help. On a personal level, my help. Is that not awesome? That God is your help? The next time you're in a tight spot, recall this verse to your mind and more than that, preach it to your soul. I lift up my eyes to the hill. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who makes heaven and earth. You must talk to yourself more than you listen to yourself. I am is our helper. And the last point this morning is he is our keeper. I am is our helper. I am is our keeper. In the last six verses, five, five times, this word keeper is used. The psalmist tells us that the Lord demonstrate, demonstrates his help by keeping us. Notice how he keeps us. He keeps us constantly. He will not let your foot be moved. He, uh, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Listen, we could not stand for one moment if God was not our keeper. Imagine what would happen to us if God ever went to sleep. We need Him by day and by night. Look, some of y'all aren't sleeping good at night right now. Go on and go to bed. God will stay up all night. He's got it. He didn't need you up burning the midnight oil with him. Not a single step can be safely taken except under his guardian eye. The Lord is the bodyguard of his people. When dangers are all around us, we are safe, for our preserver is awake and will not prevent us to be moved. No fatigue of exhaustion can cast our God into sleep. He has watch his watchful eyes are never closed. Anybody in here ever had to stay up at, 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 late at night for a reason? 
to watch something, to watch over a child. I'll go back to the military. I don't know if Fred or Marcus ever had to have the, the watch at night, stay up, on, you know, on post or whatever, you know, making sure that the enemy doesn't sneak up. But think about, think about how hard it is to stay up. Think, think about how difficult it is to fall, to, to doze off even for a moment into sleep. Think about the fatigue and the exhaustion that comes from staying up. And yet, the Bible says that no fatigue or, ex or exhaustion has ever cast God into sleep. His watchful eyes are never closed. His, sl his sleepless uh, vigilance is for our good. God keeps us and God protects us. He cares for us. And I love this. He has no need of refreshing I remember one night coming back from uh, Haiti. We had landed in uh, Fort Pierce, Florida, and it's a, it's a long 12-hour drive home. And we, try, we usually get there late. We, we usually land 5, 6 in the afternoon, and we try to get something to eat. And then we try to make it a straight shot with one stop for fuel on the way back. One bathroom break, one stop for fuel. And I know those of you that need to go to the potty a lot, y'all like, I, I'm glad I'm not on that trip. And I just warn everybody, don't drink a lot. Either that or you got to be a good holder. But I want to get home. And one night we were coming through, uh, coming up I-85 in Georgia, there in South Georgia, around Cordell, Georgia. And I remember going to sleep, just as, I mean, just sound asleep. And as, all of a sudden, you know, I woke up. And when I woke up, there was the center wall. I didn't hit it. I swerved real quick. Matthew K. was my co-pilot. <clears throat> he was asleep. He woke up, and I woke up, and he said, are you okay? And I was like, no, I think I need to pull over. Somebody else needs to drive. This is, this is what makes the, you know, the 6 o'clock news, right? And... Uh, but I just couldn't stay awake, no matter how much coffee I drank or energy drinks that I took or everything that I tried to do, roll down the window, crank up the music, everything that you do to stay awake. I just simply couldn't stay awake. And here's the confidence this morning. If you know what I'm talking about, just know this. The Lord has never had that experience in his life. He has never even thought about dozing off to sleep. He is constantly watching over you and I. Isaiah, I mean, Psalm 66, 8 and 9 says, Bless our God, O peoples, let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. You see, that word, uh, feet slip, is one word in the original language, and it is the same word that's used when it says uh, that our foot will not be moved. God is going to sustain us he is going to keep us in times of trouble. The Lord is the one who is unmovable, and He holds His children so that their feet don't slip. Those who trust in I Am are immovable as the mountains in which Jerusalem sat upon. David echoed this. Look at this verse. The steps of, of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. 
You know what that's the picture of? How many of you have ever had your young child by the hand and you were walking along and the child slipped and fell and you you still had a hole? You might have been dragging them, but you still had them. That's That's the picture. God's got us by the hand. And we may slip a little bit and we may fall, but what is it saying? It's saying that he is not ever going to let us go. Peter failed, but his failure was not final, nor was it fatal. Why? Because look what Jesus said, but Peter, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Do you know why you're not going to fail? Do you know why you're not going to completely go away? It's because the Lord is praying for you, because the Lord has you. When grace does not keep us from going down, it will keep us from staying down. When I am as your help, nothing can prevail against you. When I am as your help, you can sing these words. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I can never keep my hold through this life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Not only does He keep us continually, but He keeps us completely. He keeps us completely. So He keeps us constantly. He keeps us completely. And what do I mean by that? Well, I'm not going to read all of verse 5 and 7, but you see it there. There, there's a, he's a shade on their right hand. The sun will not strike you by day. The moon will not get you at night. The Lord will keep you from evil. The truth is that what it's saying is, is that I am surrounds his people and guards them at every point of attack. Our foe must be able to, our foe must be able to pierce the impenetrable and conquer the invincible before he can touch the weakest saint who is sheltered under the wings of God. Satan speaking to I am about his servant Job said, Have you not put a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. And if you know that story, you know how that story goes. God did protect Job, even though he allowed Satan to come after Job. You see, some of us have failed to realize that just because we are under attack does not mean that God has abandoned us, that God doesn't love us. You see, when we come under attack, We have an opportunity to live at a point in time in our life where we can prove to the world that I am is my helper and I am is my keeper. He keeps us completely. And then lastly, He keeps us continually. He keeps us continually according to verse 8. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that nothing can come into our life apart from God allowing it. Everything is filtered through the hands of our loving Father. There are no chance circumstances or random occurrences 
in the life of a believer. Nothing happens in a believer's life that is purposeless. Why? Because we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of them that love Him and are called according to His purpose. John Calvin said, Whatever thou shalt undertake or engage in during thy life shall come to a happy and successful termination. Missionary Adoniram Judson said this, God has not led me so tenderly thus far to forsake me at the very gate of heaven. Listen to what Jude, Jude said. I love this. Jude, one chapter, the last two verses. Now to him who is able to what? Keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through our Lord Jesus Christ, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Listen, no matter what comes against us in our journey of faith, I am is our help, and I am will keep us. Like Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress, we will make it to the celestial city because I am is our help, and I am will keep us of this, I am sure. The psalmist does not promise that the Lord will, not, will keep us from trouble, but He keeps us amid trouble. As our opening hymn reminded us this morning, no power of hell, no scheme of man can what? Ever pluck me from His hand. Are you too proud to ask for help? Are you in a pit right now this morning because of your failure to cry out to God for help? Listen, there, there very well could be one or many among us this morning that you're trying your own way to save yourself. You're trying to get to heaven based on your own strength, your own merits, your own work. You're, you're trying to get to heaven by doing good. And yet the Bible says your good works are like filthy rags. Your, your good works are, are no good. Your, your good works will never be good enough to get you in a, into heaven. Why? Because no one is strong enough to get into heaven on their own. Jesus took on human flesh. He became weak like one of us. Why? So that He could take our strength, our pride, our sin, our self-reliance, our self-salvation. He took all of that into His body. Why? So that you and I could become weak. Scripture tells us that when we are weak, then we are strong. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you want God's help or do you want God's resistance? This morning, if you're trying to be strong and you think God likes that, if you're trying to be strong this morning because you think that God helps those who help Himself, then listen this morning. God is not helping you. He is resisting you. Believe what the Bible teaches, not what Ben Franklin taught. God helps those who cannot help themselves. Let's pray. Father, it does not take a prophet this morning to proclaim that there are many strong people in the house this morning. That there are many strong people that are watching online this morning. And Father, there's probably even some of us 
that find ourselves in some very difficult conditions right now. We might even call it a pit. And we're there because we have simply failed to live like your, like your word teaches us. And that is to, to live as though I am is my help. Some of us this morning feel as in the midst of our circumstances that you don't care. And it's not that you don't care, but you resist the proud. You, you are ready to bring aid. You are ready to help. But we must admit that we need help. We must admit like Jehoshaphat did. Lord, we are powerless. <laughs> but our eyes are on you. Lord, we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Some of us need help in our marriages. Some of us need help with our children. Some of us need help on our jobs. Our need of help manifests itself in so many different ways, Father. We cannot even say them all. But Father, whatever those needs are this morning, I pray that the proud, the strong, would become weak. So that they can say with the psalmist, I lift my eyes to the hills. And where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. May many find help in their time of need this morning, Father. And it's in Christ's name we pray and we ask. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing one more song together this morning.